Choose your princess wisely. A good omen's multivoice podfic, written by the wolf. Chapter 4 An Interlude in London. Okay, first of all, did you know about the zombie warriors and Medusa simulacrums? Crowley demands the very first instant he corners Anathema alone upon their return. Keep your voice down. Anathema advises, looking far too relaxed and cosy, and not risking her own neck in her chair by the fire. You'll wake Aziraphale, my liege. Crowley winds up and down the hearthstones restlessly, keeping his gaze fixed on a witch, so his neck does the weird, unmoving thing, she said, creeps her out. This isn't even the proper spell ingredient. There are so many other options for sources of income that you could have bullshitted a quest item around. He adds quietly. He and Aziraphale had weighed the pros and cons of the three-day journey on foot back to London versus the magical strain of using the boots. In the end, Aziraphale had admitted he'd probably net more magical renewal if they spent the three days resting in London where he'd have a proper bed. And so, just as soon as he'd shaken the motion sickness off, Crowley had bullied the hero into eating a full breakfast and then taking a nap. Anathema placidly continues working on the shawl she's knitting stylized, renewable, never-lose roots into. I happen to have heard, through a mutual friend of ours, that there's a whole network of heroes and seventh sons who have a system worked out for retrieving crystal apples relatively safely. It seemed likely that any hero who answered your advert would either be part of the network or could be referred to someone who is. It's sensible, is the thing, which just infuriates him even more. How do I not know about this network? He hisses instead. It's a very discreet club, by necessity. Anathema points out. And only truly useful to people who fit a certain... er... type. It's discrimination is what it is! Anathema rolls her eyes. Given that Crowley is only protesting as a way to vent his ire at accidentally volunteering himself for far more peril than he'd intended, he thinks that's probably fair. He wouldn't want to join the club, even if he was invited. False. I have a lead on the mirror. She says, with the firm authority of someone prepared to dig a grave for the previous topic of conversation, if necessary. Apparently it was in the wind for a while because it got mistagged at an estate sale. A family in Tadfield ended up with it. I sent an inquiry, and they're willing to negotiate, since it isn't what they were looking for in the first place. Tadfield, Crowley muses. That isn't far. Can walk that easy. Another mark works an eyebrow at him. Not a fan of the boots. Crowley invents a temporary rattle for his tail, just to shake it at her. The blessed idiot is running on magical fumes. And the boots tap a lot of power from the wearer to operate. Very inefficient rune work, if you ask me. Anyway, I told him to lay off unnecessary magic. Anathema gets a queer look in her eye. 
you're telling him how he's allowed to use his magic. Crowley, who has a finely developed sense for when he's accidentally slithered into deep shit and needs to beat a hasty retreat, freezes. Uh, technically, yeah. But look, Anathema, work with me. I need him alive and healthy to complete these quests, yeah? I told him it's not like we're on a deadline, so he doesn't need to push himself. After a sceptical look, he jabs the tip of his tail toward the stairs, where the hero is up sleeping in their rented room. Weren't you the one telling him literally two days ago what quests he should and shouldn't be taking on? Convinced him to take a three-day holiday, didn't I? Anathema blinks and glances up towards the stairs in surprise. You're staying. Can't have him passing out in the middle of a quest, he says reasonably. Magical exhaustion takes weeks to recover from. An ounce of prevention and all that. She squints down at him. And he listened to you? I'm very charismatic. She makes a disbelieving sort of noise, but then she glances back up at the stairs again, thoughtfully. <laughs> well, I can't argue with the results, but don't get into the habit of regulating his magic use. It should be his to use as he sees fit, even if it's stupidly. I'm sensing this is a don't-be-like-big-bad-brothers thing, he says dryly. She doesn't say anything, but the look she gives him is very speaking. When Aziraphale can manage to quiet the nagging little voice in the back of his head, admonishing him that his client, or his brothers, or the people who depend on the messenger name to subsist, are counting on him. And so why isn't he doing more, and doing it more efficiently, and with more aplomb? He's representing the family, after all. What will people think? You wouldn't want to disappoint them. Well, when he can muffle it, he knows how to wallow in a perfectly good slough. The trick is figuring out how to settle his nerves enough to ease into it. On the first day of their holiday in London, he offers to help Anathema with her current crying project three times, before Prince Anthony gives up merely heckling him into continuing to read his book and demands Aziraphale take him upstairs and read aloud to him. The serpent drapes himself over the headboard and complains loudly in Aziraphale's ear about how dreadfully depressing his current selection is, until he gives in and switches to something more light-hearted. At dinner, he's eyeing the stewpot, wondering if he dares impose for another serving, when suddenly the prince who to that point had been content to lounge over the back of an empty chair, suddenly insists that Aziraphale describe to him in detail how the stew tastes, since he's a big fan of stew and isn't in a fit state to enjoy it. Aziraphale narrows his eyes, but doesn't comment. By dessert, Anathema is in on the conspiracy and keeps sneaking cookies from the tin Madame Tracy left on his plate, and insisting 
that once they've left the tin, they can't be put back. Newt, with a goofy smile, gamely tops off his wine glass without prompting. Aziraphale wants to be put out at the obvious and obnoxious manipulation, but it doesn't hold quite the same sting it does at home when his friends encourage him to enjoy himself to the fullest. By the time dinner wraps up, the three humans are pleasantly tipsy, and the serpent prince is radiating smug satisfaction. Read me another funny one, he demands imperiously, slipping up the side of the armchair in front of the fire and coiling up on one of the arms. Aziraphale rolls his eyes. I'm not your court jester, he says, in what even he realizes is a prissy tone. With a twinge of chagrin, he immediately relents. <sighs> All right. After an hour, when his throat is beginning to feel a bit scratchy and the fire is making him pleasantly drowsy, the prince slinks up over his shoulders. Take me up. The witch's stairs make my scales itch. The witch in question, snucked up to a dozing nude on the facing love seat, shoots the prince a fairly murderous look for the insult, but goes back to her own reading without comment. Aziraphale lets out a sigh, but he is feeling worn down now that he doesn't have anything immediate he has to do, like his body realizes it has permission to feel the effects of too much questing. Very well, he says, and ascends the stairs to deposit the prince in his blanket nest and himself on the bed. He's out within minutes. After breakfast the next morning, Anathema shows him back upstairs so she can host a client consultation in the living area without interruption. At a loss, he slumps back onto the bed and picks his book up again. The prince stirs from where he'd been dozing on the window sill. You going back to bed? Anthony asks, sounding adorably fuzzy, head weaving a little as he raises it from his coils to get a better look at his ear affair. Oh no, just waiting for Anathema to finish with some clients. The prince makes a displeased hum and then stretches from the window sill to the bed's headboard and down over Aziraphale's near shoulder, forcing him to raise up his arms to give him room. Whatever are you doing? Aziraphale grumbles, although he thinks he knows the gist, based on the previous day's precedence. Finding myself a better warm spot, the prince replies easily, and then oozes into a looping drizzle on Aziraphale's chest somehow managing to feel as immovable as a bag of wet sand. Aziraphale squints and tries to determine if he's made himself just a tiny bit bigger to achieve the effect. I know what you're doing, he says eventually. Trying to sleep? Anthony counters. Trying being the operative word? I don't like being manipulated. Though he tries, he isn't able to keep all the brittleness from his voice. The prince, who wasn't moving in the first place, 
manages to give the impression of having turned to stone. After a long moment, he raises his head to look Aziraphale in the eye. Sorry, he says, and actually sounds it. You didn't seem like you were going to actually let yourself rest. Thought you wouldn't like me nagging you to do it, so... Somehow, a small undulation gives the impression of a shrug. Well, that's certainly true, Aziraphale concedes. He wouldn't like to be nagged any more than he likes the creeping feel of being manipulated, even as well intended as these recent ones have obviously been meant. Why don't we compromise, hmm? He suggests. I will endeavor to try harder to rest, and if I start to slip, you may remind me of my promise to do so. Anthony bobs his head once an acknowledgement. After a moment, he adds, Are you going to take a nap or what? Because I wasn't lying when I said you're a superior warm spot. His tail twitches, and he hastily tracks on. Ah, uh, if it's not too weird. I've been a snake long enough now that I, uh, sometimes forget people don't normally... Treat other people like a particularly convenient tree or hot water bottle? Aziraphale offers archly. Right. Aziraphale stops holding back his grin. This is not even in contention for the list of strangest things I've been asked to do. I once travelled with a woman who insisted I never look her in the face because she feared I would be struck dumb by her beauty. We had to climb a mountain. It was an absolute nightmare. The prince relaxes back into his oozing posture, resting his chin on the topmost coil. Did anyone else succumb to her face? Well, she certainly seemed to turn heads, but I certainly didn't see anyone lose their power of speech. And in any event, it was inevitable that I ended up looking at her quite a lot, by accident. And I can't say I ever lost my head over it. The prince makes an agreeable-sounding noise. And though he doesn't have eyelids to slip closed, Aziraphale gets the distinct impression he's starting to drift off again. Oh, go on. Aziraphale says, giving up and setting his book aside, so he can settle properly with his head on the pillow. I suppose it's true that sleep is the fastest way to restore my magical reserves. The prince grumbles. It's the whole bloody point of the break. After that, Aziraphale unkings enough to fully indulge in a good sloth. Cozying up to the fire with a book and a cocoa, waking up indulgently late and only stepping out once to pick up a few delicacies to share with his hosts, including a few more of the honeyed mice for the prince. The prince, for his part, keeps his word and quits the demands. When Aziraphale thinks on it, he finds he's rather touched that Anthony, who must be chafing to get back to his true form, can accept such a significant delay in the quest so wholeheartedly. The serpent rotates between lightly roasting himself on the hearthstones, disappearing into the folds of his blanket nest in their rented room, and stuffing himself in a small space between the back of the wingback chair and Aziraphale's neck. 
I can tell your magic's coming back. He slurs happily on the evening of the third night. You're better than that bloody blanket at this point. Aziraphale shifts awkwardly and with a huff reaches up and plucks meaningfully at a near loop of scales. You're going to give me a crick in my neck, you silly thing. Here, just bring at least a little bit of you out from behind there. The prince mutters something that sounds uncomplimentary, but gives in to demand and droops down the back third of his tail to wrap snugly around Aziraphale's upper arm, freeing up enough space that Aziraphale can tip his head back without feeling like he's crushing him. Do you think you'll have a spring wedding? Anathema asks from the facing couch, having watched the proceedings with a suspiciously blank expression. Aziraphale feels his face flame up, but casts a significant look at where Newt is currently curled up next to her, head in her lap and snoring softly. And has dear Agnes written to congratulate you on the number and disposition of your children yet? He lops back in the same politely curious tone. Prince Anthony pauses in his restless repositioning and snorts aloud. Anathema narrows her eyes at him, but yields with a regal nod of her head. Aziraphale purses his lip in satisfaction and resolutely ignores the muffled snickering tickling behind his left ear. The morning of the fourth day, Crowley watches the neighborhood rooster in the next yard over and, when he sees the dark thing starting to stir, turns and wakes Aziraphale with a loud Morning, angel. Rise and shine. From the safe distance of the windowsill. Aziraphale starts awake and then whines a wordless protest as he rubs the freshly manicured hand over his face. Ready to go pick up a great honking mirror? Crowley asks at the same just too loud volume. He's not a morning person either, but he can also choose to stay awake right through the night without consequence, so... I thought you wanted me to sleep. Oh, good gods, what time is it? The hero pouts, draping an arm over his eyes. How are your magical reserves? Feeling tip-top? Full enough? Well, that's certainly a thing. Crowley thinks in bemusement. Three days of rest has Aziraphale fairly glowing with the delicious warmth of banked magic. He thought the hero just recovered faster than the average sorcerer, perhaps as a quirk of either his lineage or his status. If this is just a fraction of his full power, though, well, reasons motivating some shithead siblings become just a bit easier to deduce, is all. Well then, he says, scooting over to the headboard, so he can hang obnoxiously over Aziraphale's prone face. Chop chop, let's get a move on. This curse won't break itself. Aziraphale's mouth purses. You are a terror. That's no way to talk to your fiancé. 
The careful way the hero shifts his arm to grab at the pillow under his head as he squints the glare up at Crowley makes the serpent hastily ribbon back to the windowsill, cackling. Later, weighed down with the provisions and camping equipment enough to last them the two-day round trip it will be to fetch the mirror, they bid Anathema farewell and head east out of the township. It takes exactly forty minutes for Crowley to remember why he hates travelling by relative foot everywhere and why Aziraphale likely over-relies on the boots. Boring, he groans, slipping further out of the hood so that the way he languishes over Aziraphale's shoulders has the proper dramatic effect. I seem to remember a certain someone telling me how irresponsible it would be to use the boots for such a short trip, when I'm not still fully recovered. That was before someone realized your reserves are like a bloody bottomless well, Crowley protests, stretching up to drape his head upside down over the top of Aziraphale's curls in proper despair. Oh, that's nice, and tickly soft and warm. No, I'm afraid I've been quite convinced, Aziraphale says breezily, though Crowley can feel that he's begun to break out in a light sweat in the warm morning air. What if I'm called upon to do some sort of daring feat of magic to convince Deidre to part with the mirror, and the tiny bit of power that it would take to cross such a short distance is what would leave me just shy? Hold on, Deirdre, Crowley asks, flopping off Aziraphale's head so he can stretch out and back around to look him in the face. Do you know the woman we're meeting? Aziraphale blinks back at him innocently. Didn't I mention? The youngs are dear friends. I'd wager they'd put us up for the night if we ask nicely. You, Crowley pronounces, are a bastard. So I take it whatever you use up would be offset by a night in a proper bed? The hero hums in satisfaction, looking far too smart. Yeah, all right, point taken. You know your business and I should keep my scales to myself. He gripes, slithering back and going full into the hood for a sock. Oh, don't be like that, Aziraphale says, sounding contrite. I was pushing far beyond what was reasonable or safe, and you were right to point it out. It wasn't only myself I was putting in danger, and that wasn't excusable. This is just you making me stew because I woke you up early then, isn't it? Hold on tight, my dear, Aziraphale advises, before fixing the outer borders of Tetfield firmly in his mind and stepping with intention.